It's Wednesday, December 21st, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family are given the gifts of comfort, rest, and relaxation with MyPillows, MySlippers, MyDogBeds, and Giza Dream Everything from MyPillow. Get a promo code STEAK here. You're not only giving, you're getting up to 80% off. More of a morning person. They've launched my coffee. It's available in the bag, the bean, and the pod. 25% off when you enter promo code STEAK. Check out here. 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. Damn! MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website for anything sleep related. If you want that coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, Developing the mRNA vaccine technology? Oh. Hmm, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company. They are hand-picked from the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. They're hand-rolled. Leaves are aged three years. You get in a promo steak and check out here. You're getting a Christmas bonus. 25% off your total order. Any order over $100, free shipping, $10 e-gift card included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, he's also got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is WestCoastSurvivalArms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast packs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the beat. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website there. You can find them on Instagram as well. And last, but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair. Home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. If you still don't know, if you haven't made the purchase, head on down to DumpBox.us. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at SteakForBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social media, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, 
from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. Welcome, special edition Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Actually, the gang's all here. Guys, we've got a special one here lined up for you. Inventor of the mRNA technology, scientist, author, soon-to-be great friend of Steak for Breakfast, Dr. Malone is here, and we're going to sit down and give you guys one of the best interviews he's given in a long time with us right now. Dr. Malone, welcome to the show, making your Steak for Breakfast debut. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Well, thanks for having me, and I just want to, not to nitpick, uh, but I didn't invent these vaccines. I didn't work on these vaccines. I invented the platform or the technology platform. It's an important nuance. Some people get a little wrapped around the axle over that, that for is, some reason. That is the truth there. there yeah, have- he created the technology that allowed this to happen. Right. Yes, that's right. Uh, please, please, please don't join. Please don't join Stu Peters in calling me a mass murderer. Okay, I just oh, no. asked that one thing. We do oh, not. No. Hold, no, you are not a mass murderer. You are one of the people who have helped us get to the bottom of everything about this since the beginning. I think the one big burning question, even bigger than your book, right now. I have to apologize. Have you invented time travel back to go back and tell yourself what was going to happen so we can <laughs> in some way <laughs> prevent this from getting to this point? Well, uh, since I'm a deep state government agent, uh, that's actually a classified secret. Oh. I'm not able to share that. <laughs> well, and, damn. There's your state exclusive right there. Dr. Malone, how are you doing? Happy holiday season. Thanks for joining us. First time on the show. Long time coming. We're very happy to have you. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate the flags there uh, as a uh, Virginia resident. Oh, there you um, go. Uh, this, uh, that, that little yellow flag there, um, has deep meaning. Mm -hmm. Uh, so thanks for having me on. No, it's our pleasure. And, uh, we're very excited to get into this with you. So the, you know, I've been reading the book. It's, it's a very good book, very telling. Uh, I also listened to one of your recent podcasts. You were on Monica Crowley. Uh, she aired it this week. I believe you guys recorded probably last week. That was an excellent show and, uh, very, a lot of information. I, I put it out there so our listenership can hear it as well. Um, one of the, I, well, what the premise for the book, where, where did this come from? Obviously you've had a story to tell. You've tried to tell it. You've been canceled, uncanceled. You've been in and out of DC, uh, since the start of the pandemic. And you've been trying to tell the story you best you can. The book comes out. What, what was the, the real blueprint behind the story that you wanted to tell when you sat down to write this? Well, and a couple little nuances on that one, uh, I, I still am a long way from exhausting all the stories of the last three years, as I think is the case with most of us. Um, uh, and maybe we'll talk about some of that here. The, the starting point for this thing, uh, which was written by myself and my wife, Dr. Jill Glasspool Malone, uh, both of whom went to school at UC San Diego, since you're there, uh, um, down along La Jolla, et cetera, uh, and she actually used to work for the Wild Animal Park in the San Diego Zoo. Just more nuance for you. Uh, the way this came about was that I was asked to help uh, edit Bobby Kennedy's book, The Real Anthony Fauci. And I did so uh, twice. Actually, I was depressed for a couple of weeks afterwards. I thought that I had really understood what was going on in NIAID and DC and everything. And after I finished working through that book, I was blown away. I, I realized that I, there was still a ton uh, more to learn about what it, what has transpired with this gentleman over his, the course of his career. 
Yeah, uh, I actually just got that book. I haven't started it yet. It's a good one. I listened to the audio version. I found it at a thrift store of all places. Better late than never. It's, yeah. it's basically uh, Bobby Kennedy's indictment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Of, of Tony Fauci, you know, he's a lawyer and that's kind of the way it reads. It's a little dense for a lot of people. Uh, it's carefully reasoned and there's been virtually no, uh, no legal action or, or explicit criticisms. Everything in there is highly documented and detailed, uh, fully accurate. So the fact checkers really haven't, all they can do with that book is uh, try to hide it, deplatform it, censor, censor it. Uh, cause it's impeccable. Uh, so far, uh, we've dodged the bullets also on this one, which is also, I think has even more citation references than, uh, than Bobby's did. So I finished the edits on that and, uh, Tony Lyons, uh, came to me, who's the Skyhorse uh, publishing for Bobby's book and for this and many others. And Tony asked me if I'd like to do one and, uh, he offered a modest uh, um, retainer, uh, which in the end we didn't even take. And uh, and Jill and I decided to launch into this. At the start, it was supposed to be just kind of a compilation of people's first-person accounts, kind of uh, um, in the in the form of journalism of of uh, some of the Chicago journalists, etc., that would capture people's uh, personal stories. Uh, and then, uh, as Jill and I kind of considered how we were going to do this, we knew that there was no way that we could do the topic justice, uh, without finding some way to maintain cash flow. We, we're, we have no, I've destroyed my business, uh, and so what we decided to do was serialize it using Substack. Mm-hmm. And, and so that kind of became the core of our Substack productions over the last year. And uh, I don't think we could have written this book if we just sat down to write it like today, because it essentially captures current events as they played out over the last year. Uh, and uh, with all the granularities of the, the press reports and the details, and it's really our personal journey of trying to make sense out of what took place. And it's structured around, you know, when, when you're sitting down to write a book, you got to think to yourself, well, how am I going to do this? Uh, what's going to be the theme? How am I going to structure it? And uh, the brainstorm was that when a physician approaches a patient or a patient approaches a physician, the first thing that happens is a history and physical. And then you go through a process as a doctor of developing a diagnosis. What is, what's wrong with this patient? You know, we start with what is their pain? What is their primary uh, source of stress or pain or, or medical problems? Then what's the diagnosis? And then what's the treatment plan? So the book is structured that way. The first third of the book basically is first person accounts of what people have experienced. People like Paul Merrick, Pierre Corey, Merrill Nass, and so many others. And then the middle part is an attempt at sense making, a journey that uh, we bring the reader along with of trying to understand what's happened to all of us with the propaganda, the censorship, uh, the role of the World Economic Forum, the uh, role of the central banks and manipulation of currency, uh, 
uh, the role of the government, uh, the role of different government agencies, uh, transhumanism, uh, this new fourth industrial revolution. What's that all about? How does this fit into those things? So it's a journey of kind of discovery and sense making. And then the last third is the hardest part of all to write. Uh, what is the treatment plan? What can we do? And how do we get to a better future? And I think that that's the journey now that presents to all of us is how do we build a better future, an alternative vision to this dark transhumanism, uh, you know, command economy, uh, corporatism that really, I argue, the, as Mussolini did, that the proper term for fascism is corporatism this uh, rampant public-private partnership situation that we find ourselves in. And, and how, do we, how do we get out of this situation where this permanent administrative state uh, controls every aspect of our lives now? Uh, you know, we now have a federal government under this president that uh, has uh, legalized surveillance on citizens in a routine way. And uh, no surprise to you folks, uh, I, uh, I, I like the, you know, Steve Bannon comes up with some really good words. He is a, a hell of a media warrior. And uh, whatever you think about him, uh, he, he is good at what he does. And I've benefited from uh, spending a lot of time with him over the last year on War Room and in person. He uses the term Praetorian Guard, yep. referencing uh, um of the Roman Empire, uh, for the role in particular of the intelligence community in uh, our current administrative state structure. And of course, we just saw that underscored by uh, Mr. Tucker Carlson with his comments about the assassination of uh, the former president, John F. Kennedy. Uh, We're living in a world that has, to a significant extent, been fabricated for us by the intelligence community, and it's becoming increasingly clear. And I think this book, I hope, if this book succeeds, um, people don't take it as the gospel truth, but rather as, you know, we overuse this metaphor red-pilling, as as a way for the uh, folks that aren't yet awake, that persuadable middle that are hypnotized to some extent, uh, the intent is that this book can take them on a journey that will allow them to wake up and start to see what the likes of all of us here on this program already know um, and can already see. No, it's uh, a lot to unpack there, but you kind of laid it out nicely for our audience. It has been a pretty long road that we've traveled on since the start of the pandemic all of the stuff non-medically related that you just subscribe or suggested the, you know, the guard, the way kind of the intelligence agencies have role played a reality for the people who choose to be either like medically uneducated, politically uneducated, not that they don't want to be, it's just that they're more worried about day to day stuff and life continues to pass them by. And next thing you know, three years later, we're, we're in a part where there's like, social credit there's you can't have a job if you don't get a jab there's all this other stuff you know that can that can play roles in in your life that didn't your kids might not be able to get an in-person education or education at all if they choose not to get 
the vaccine and stuff like that. And it's kind of, it's so much bigger than just, you know, COVID. Uh, and it's becoming more and more apparent to people who, I, I mean, I always use my wife as a reference on the show. She historically has been like a, a moderate liberal. She's a social worker by trade. She's very compassionate, has a big heart. But ever since this started, she bought into the two weeks to stop the spread. And by the end, she's like, our kids are getting stupid and everything costs a lot more. What's going on here? It's like, oh, let me tell you some stories right now. And kind of tie everything together. And the more she, she either listens to the news or checks out some of the people who have come on our show over the last couple of years, she's kind of connected the dots and been like, you want to know what? These people all can't be wrong. This is absolute. And then she sees the people go on TV and the empty suits that are up there. It just looks like they're very coached and everything's scripted. And you hear them talk and they leave the podium and then you walk out your front door and you're like, this has nothing to do with the reality that they just told us we're living in. This is like the complete opposite. So it's definitely at the very least like a, a, a journalistic journey and, and, and uh, introduction to red pill, this book uh, to say the very least, some of the biggest lies you were told by your government, Dr. Malone, what are, what are some of the highlights you can give our listenership today? Those who are really excited to get this book and uh, find out of it. What were some of the biggest whoppers that you lived through throughout the course of uh when you were writing this book and going back through what the important ones were. So I think the biggest one at the center uh, in terms of our government's lies is the origin of the virus. Uh, clearly uh, our government, both through defense threat reduction agency, as well as uh, the national Institute of allergy and infectious disease, Tony Fauci's division of the NIH capitalized the Wuhan Institute of Virology and uh, um, and various groups in the United States to transfer technology to Wuhan and uh, enable and facilitate the creation of an engineered pathogen. That's not universally accepted, but it is pretty widely accepted now. And it's, and it's one of the core theses of the Lancet Commission. Yep. Uh, what is out on the edges in that discussion, and I, I gently poke at this a little bit in the book as I talk about Michael Callahan, the CIA officer, who uh, your readers can look up his name on uh, the website called Unlimited Hangout. There's a fascinating article titled DARPA's Man in Wuhan that I recommend uh, that you look up if you're inclined to uh, venture into uh, these uh, darker spaces uh, in terms of what's been going on with our government. But it's, it's increasingly being floated that the U.S. government uh, might have had an even more active role other than just financing the development of the uh, virus in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And uh, that's, that's, I'm being really cautious how I'm saying this, but uh, there is a scenario wherein this is a U.S. bioweapon more than it is a Chinese bioweapon, or, it, or it's certainly a teamed effort. Uh, so that whole issue of uh, the origin of the virus and the very active effort to cover it up by Tony Fauci, Cliff Lane, and... Uh, and uh, Farrar, the head of the Wellcome Trust, who has now been promoted to chief science officer at the World Health Organization. I'm sure that's a shocker for you. Mm. Uh, that was sarcasm. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, 
they they actively conspired to suppress uh, any discussion even of what now is globally considered to be the primary explanation for the origin of the virus. Another huge lie uh, is, and I was caught in it, and I and perhaps you were. Some people seem to have avoided it. We were subjected to uh, amazing propaganda at the start of 2020 having to do with the risks of the virus. That propaganda came through a variety of channels, including uh, um, uh, one of the universities in London. And I discussed this in the chapter called Tyranny of the Modelers. Uh, but it was actively promoted in particular, uh, somehow coming out of the CCP, it's still not clear where that propaganda came from. This, this being the propaganda of uh, individuals dying on the streets, uh, collapsing from the virus, uh, the rapid build out of the hospital, and having gone back and dissected uh, what's been published about Michael Callahan and uh, his time in Wuhan, uh, in Nanjing, as I recall, uh, it's pretty clear to me now in retrospect that he was identified immediately uh, by the CCP as a U.S. agent, intelligence agent, and I think he got played. I think he became part of their uh, propaganda machine that basically injected a belief system uh, as well as a solution that we call this China solution into the national security apparatus of the United States. And it was propagated by uh, Michael Pottinger and many others yep. uh, down through uh, um, the White House uh, and the national security apparatus and then out into the Department of Homeland Security and then uh, through to all of us uh, in precise alignment with the planning that had gone on during event 201 in which all of this uh, concerted propaganda, coercion, censorship campaign that has been deployed all over the world in a coordinated fashion uh, got got played on us, particularly in the first quarter of 2020 yeah. and then beyond. Uh, so that's another whole cluster of lies about the the pathogenicity of the virus. In terms of my personal story, something not covered in the book is uh, I, for, for a long period, I tried to work within the government, as you can imagine based on my history. I was under the assumption that the FDA was being played by pharma. Mm. And I, I actually had a phone call with Nancy Pelosi's office and her senior leadership. I had a, a phone call with Peter Marks, who's head of uh, vaccines for FDA, and discussed uh, what I had observed with the uh, Pfizer common technical document from Japan that uh, had been first identified by Byron Bridle, the uh, um, uh, much maligned vaccinologist from Canada. Uh, and uh, for instance, in that phone call, in the phone call with Pelosi's office, I pleaded with them to age stratify the risk of both of the vaccine and of the virus, but to no avail. 
And in my call with Peter Marks, that was attended by a public affairs officer for FDA, uh, he assured me that uh, what I had seen with the Pfizer common technical document from Japan was outdated. He had much newer data. Um, He saw no uh, issues with any of that data. He had no concerns and uh, asked me specifically to hold back on criticizing uh, because uh, he wanted to be able to deploy this new information, and he assured me he would make it available. Of course, we now read forward to the present that the FDA, together with Pfizer, tried every trick in the book they could to try to keep those data from us, and it took a protracted court battle to finally get it uh, disclosed. And uh, and basically, I was lied to uh, by uh, a senior officer of the NIA, of the FDA, uh, which is why I kind of held back until I had had a phone call with a Canadian physician who was reporting to me and pleading with me for help all of the efforts to coerce uh, uh, vaccine uptake in children, young children, uh, and uh, the Canadian government's unwillingness to consider any data that he was reporting having to do with adverse events from the vaccines. And uh, that's when I wrote my bioethics article for uh, Trial Site News that kind of catalyzed a lot of that discussion. But for a long time, I was doing my best to work within the system under the assumption that the pharmaceutical industry had hoodwinked the FDA. Now we know that the FDA and the CDC were, let's say, gently active partners with the pharmaceutical industry in uh, obscuring uh, the truth of what was going on and uh, blocking the ability of individuals to truly obtain informed consent to learn about the potential risks. All of that was actively blocked. And now, thanks to Mr. Musk, and, and, you know, any moment now, it could drop while we're on this podcast. We anticipate the next data package on the Twitter files having to do with COVID, but it's already become abundantly clear that uh, Homeland Security and FBI were basically acting in um, routine concert in in you know colluding actively uh, cooperating with each other to censor information from the american public and to censor individuals that had a different interpretation of the data uh other than that that was officially being promoted by the world health organization the fda and the cdc and tony fauci yeah, it seems like the more we uncover, we sit down with people like you. I mean, we've had a lot of people over the years on our show. We were one of, believe it or not, Dr. Zelenko's last interviews before he really got sick and then eventually passed. People like uh, that worked inside of the White House uh, for a number of years, Max Miller, Peter Navarro was one of them, kind of all corroborate the same story of stuff that was going on. Uh, you guys were out there trying to based off the course of the fact that you were doctors and scientists and had had, you know, a complete life of work on how things were done, trying to share and exchange data, get to plausible solutions. And then you had these gatekeepers uh, at these federal agencies and these 
almost gangster-like figures who wanted to say, like, okay, all that stuff is cool. We hear you guys. I'm sure there's a lot of data and, like, charts and stuff you could show us that would be really helpful. This is what we're doing anyway. We're going to blanket everybody, regardless of what the consequence is, everything from, you know, six feet and mass to lockdowns and mandates. And uh, anybody who gets in our way is now going to absolutely get steamrolled. And that's kind of the way it was for a long time until – the tidal wave of data that came out, it started with stuff like some of the people I just mentioned. Obviously, the uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. book was huge. Your book is huge. Uh, you had stuff like the panel you sat on a couple weeks ago with uh, Senator Ron Johnson, who basically, in an election year, put everything out there on the line to uh, make a stand with you guys. He was one of the very few people up on Capitol Hill who took as hard as a line against all of this stuff than, than just about anybody else. But before I get into that, I wanted to ask you, because there's been so much unpacking of this story throughout the last couple of years by everyone who's been involved for someone who, and, and you know, I read part of it in the book. I heard part of it on, on your podcast with Monica Crowley last week, you know, jumping over from Chicago, getting out to, to San Diego in the medical program over there, being a young guy in a room full of all of established people working on this technology and then kind of where it spiraled into. I don't think enough people ask you, does it make you, I don't know if the correct word is sad or disappointed, that something that you worked on and invested in so much has turned into something that, you know, probably could have good uh, things in the future that'll help people, but where it's at right now and some of the side effects we're seeing with children and blood clots and all that stuff, does it make you sad to see something that you worked on and, and helped develop being used in such a bad way? Of course. Um, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a kind of a little bit like a child. It's a thought child. Uh, from my youth, I was 28. Yeah. Uh, a lot of water under the bridge since then. And a lot of personal experience with uh, the way big science works and uh, the way academia works and all of the dys- dysfunctionalism of academic competitiveness. Uh, and um, in the profoundly twisted nature of what the pharmaceutical industry has become. They basically have no ethics. Uh, It's sad also, and I've had many colleagues talk to me about this, particularly six to nine months ago. Now, I think we're all almost in shock of uh, about what's happened and and how the data are rolling out. But um, in this rush to advance a untested technology and bypass all norms what what they've done is to a significant extent they've destroyed the legitimacy the process the history of clinical research and regulatory affairs things that i committed the last uh third to half of my career to has had just been destroyed. The norms that I had spent so many years learning uh, are now almost irrelevant. It's anything goes, whatever pharma wants, uh, and uh, the government just rolls over. I, you're, thank you for the question. It is uh, disappointing, but I think that the one key thing that makes this all tolerable is uh, remaining focused on the things that matter, friends, family, my marriage, uh, my farm, uh, 
you know, daily life. I'm, I'm somebody who lives in the physical world. Uh, I have some of a, somewhat of a virtual footprint, but unlike those poor souls that live uh, in the concrete canyons of Chicago and New York, virtual space is the laptop class. Um, I still have connectedness with the land. Uh, I still swing a hammer. Uh, I still drive a tractor. Uh, and uh, I've got five mares that are ready to uh, deliver foals any day now. So I think that, you know, that and being married for 44 years to the same woman and cherishing that relationship. Uh, and you'll see it, a common theme through all is a commitment to our children and uh, trying to do what I could to protect the children. And, and I think that that stems, that flows from the position of being in my early to mid sixties, having seen a lot over time and recognizing that the only true form of immortality other than that associated with uh, the divine or God or whatever sure. is in our children. Um, it's, it's our legacy and, and it's our privilege to pass the world off to the next generation and do so in a way that, that makes it as good as possible for them to, to take control of. So I think that, that keeping those kinds of things in mind, uh, um, helps keep things in perspective. It's really easy to get lost in your sense of self. And so many people in our culture are just immersed in narcissism. But it's not about me. It's not about, you know, any one of us. It's about us together. And so that also is a source of comfort is focusing on uh, focusing on the better future ahead. Uh, what can we do to make things better for our children? Over. No, and uh, throughout the course of everything, where it started and where we're at now, it seems like a lot of people, you talked about red pilling, waking up and stuff like that, have kind of saw firsthand how bad things are and, and probably reprioritized what are important to them. Uh, you mentioned your wife, you know, your farm and stuff like that. I do have to mention for our listenership today, those who are listening to the podcast right now, he's also built one hell of a great looking podcast studio to say the very least. And uh, that, that, that sound quality is uh, he's not in some studio. He's in, he's in a, what'd you say it was a barn? Yeah. It's actually an old cinder block pig barn that there was built go. in the 1940s. Nice. Uh, but we've completely redone it. And, and I, a lot of the work I've done myself, I parged the walls and, and uh, we still got a little ways to go. Um, I got the track lighting to put in here still. But uh, we're almost there. No, it looks phenomenal. Now you now you participated in that panel up on Capitol Hill not too long ago with Senator Ron Johnson. Uh, that was kind of like watching parts of it on C-SPAN and then seeing clips of it on the internet. It almost was like for people who have not realized what we have gone through and just how we got there over the course of the last three years, it was almost like uh, one of those accountability meetings mm. where they would kind of bring up a topic and then they would go to the experts. What were some of the biggest takeaways and, and that you got uh, coming out of that thing? And, and what was some of the most uh, alarming stuff that some of our listenership might not have heard? 
Um, so uh, just to set the stage, this is the third of the hearings that Senator Johnson has held. And in your lead-in, talking about him, uh, you mentioned that he had the courage to yeah. raise these sensitive topics through the course of his uh, election campaign, which was hard fought, as uh, they tend to be. And he warned me that this was going to happen. Uh, and I, I did what I could to help raise money for him through my Substack, et cetera, and support him, as did all of the physicians in our group. Uh, but this is the third that he's held. And his intention was that we would make this a little more streamlined, a little more readily accessible to the, again, the persuadable middle, those that had not really been fully awake or following all the nuanced details over time. And uh, it was intended as more of a concise summary of where we stand right now. Unfortunately, it's very disappointing that the Senate didn't turn. Right. And if it had, he would have been chairman of the Homeland Security Subcommittee on Investigations. That's the committee structure within that was which that was operating. And now he is the minority uh, representative leader on that uh, investigation subcommittee for Homeland Security, which means he has no power of subpoena. So you recall in that that he invited the usual players from CDC, NIH, et cetera, and as usual, none of them showed up. <laughs> uh, in terms of the MIG messages, there's a number of them. Of course, Ed Dowd's uh, um, analysis uh, with his colleagues of the excess all-cause mortality, which mirrors that of many others uh, that have been working in other nations, and uh, has, as a component of Ed's analysis, together with two uh, data scientists from Portugal, he's created a portal where you can look at the uh, correlation between vaccination and all-cause mortality, excess all-cause mortality, in nations all across the world. Much of this data that he's looked at from the United States uh, is coming from uh, the insurance actuaries. So it's outside of the system of uh, CDC, FDA, NIH, which uh, even according to the New York Times last February has been withholding information from us all the way through the outcome from physicians and public health providers. And uh, the New York Times itself acknowledged that the CDC has become politicized. It is functionally a political arm of the White House now. And so nothing really that they've been giving us is the true, true. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all propaganda, basically highly selected data and, and carefully reported to support the approved narrative um, from uh, the White House. So uh, Ed has managed to tunnel through that uh, by getting access to the data from uh, the insurance actuary uh, world and uh, as you know, insurance actuaries don't have the latitude to manipulate the data because they're all publicly traded and they are subjected to SEC oversight. And so they really don't have the option to fudge the numbers or they're, they're going to lose their company and their jobs. So that was big. Uh, 
the uh, Teresa Long's uh, disclosures about the DMED uh, database from the Department of Defense and the apparent uh, huge uh, damage that's been done to our uh, war fighters and their spouses and others uh, that are employees of the Department of Defense. Uh, that's something that I've long known about. I've corresponded with her, you know, for over a year. Uh, um, and it's been picked over before. Matt Crawford, I'll just give a shout out to uh, with his Substack Rounding the World, has probably the most nuance, uh, nuanced analysis of those data and where they went sideways. The Department of Defense is trying to explain this as being due to some data entry errors, uh, but that that is a, a gross um, uh, misrepresentation. And fascinatingly enough, uh, it is a defense contractor with offices in uh, the Beltway, North Virginia area here nearby where I live, that has the responsibility for managing that database. And as I understand it, that defense contractor is largely owned by um, uh, Chinese investors, yeah. uh, fascinatingly yeah. enough. So, uh, so that that was uh, big. Uh, of course, we had the usual uh, discussions about the nature of the vaccine and misrepresentations about the vaccine. My statement that unequivocally uh, this product, these products are gene therapy technology. And of course, this has a local flavor. Uh, both, this is a nuance that many people don't get. Uh, both the mRNA technology platform as well as the adenoviral vector platform that's used in the J&J &J vaccine were originally developed at the Salk Institute in the laboratory of Dr. Inder Verma at the molecular biology and virology labs of the Salk Institute. Uh, both of these technology platforms came out of the same exact lab. And it was actually some findings in that laboratory having to do with gene therapy technology that led to the realization by myself that gene, this is one of my big insights, that gene therapy really wasn't going to work because of the immune system and that uh, the best application for what had hoped by Ted Friedman to be a way, another local luminary there at UC San Diego, uh, what Ted Friedman had hoped would be a way to treat inborn errors of metabolism in children, in other words, pediatric genetic disease, like cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, adenosine deaminase deficiency, et cetera, mm -hmm. was never going to work because your immune system doesn't know that it's the good gene. It just knows that it's a different gene expressing a different protein and it will attack it. So my little brainstorm among others was, well, then we can use gene therapy technology for vaccination purposes which is what gave rise to the DNA vaccine and RNA vaccine technologies that were patented by local San Diego company Vical uh, back uh, when uh, starting when uh, we were at the cyclotron uh, across from the Salk Institute and then on Town Center Drive to other local uh, points of reference mm -hmm. that uh, as San Diego locals you'll appreciate. Yep. Um, so it all it all kind of comes back to uh, La Jolla and the Salk and spinouts and the and the kind of explosive growth of biotechnology along Torrey Pines Road uh, that that now has such a role in in the San Diego economy. Uh, uh, so, um, you know, there's there's a whole lot of of 
misrepresentation around that. And uh, the uh, SEC filings of Moderna and BioNTech slash Pfizer all explicitly disclosed that this was gene therapy technology. Yep. But uh, when I started to speak to that this was the case and basically provide witness that this was the case in public, you may recall that I was just mercilessly attacked by corporate media and the, quote, fact checker industry that we now know are, per <laughs> Facebook, merely narrative reinforcers. Yep. <laughs> and, and the question then comes to mind, why did they react so violently uh, to me saying this was gene therapy technology applied to vaccination. And I think the answer is because of the FDA. The FDA these days operates based on checklists and they have a checklist for vaccines and they have a checklist for gene therapy in terms of the tests that need to be done before it ever goes into humans in large scale clinical trials or deployment. And uh, by rationalizing that this was a vaccine, you know, using traditional vaccine technology, which was not the case, instead of a gene therapy technology applied to vaccination, they were able to avoid applying the gene therapy checklist, which would have required them to do the things like look at reproductive toxicology more rigorously, integration, uh, persistence, biodistribution, et cetera. Um, things that are always required for gene therapy-based products, they were able to avoid all that by basically manipulating language, yep. which, of course, has been a story all the way through this. is very Orwellian, what we've experienced for the last three years, um, <laughs> mis, dis, and malinformation and everything around it. Mm-hmm. Over? Yeah, it's uh, you make an excellent point there, and I think the biggest thing that we've seen come out of all this, I, I think you've kind of self-proclaimed it throughout the course of this interview is that we we've really found out who our fighters are who our actual truth tellers are and kind of pulled the curtain back uh a lot on all the stuff that's been going on to kind of shape the narrative of, of the everyday life that we live i think that's been probably the most concerning part but it's no longer surprising which leads me to my last question dr malone do you see a brighter future? I mean, it's the back end of the title of your book and the better future coming. Uh, are you optimistic about the days ahead, whether it be in, in you know, advances made in medical technology and, and treatments all the way up through where society is kind of going right now? There are a lot of people who can turn on the TV every day and whether they see like, you know, stuff that's going on with foreign wars or gas prices, the economy in the southern border, crime rampant in a lot of major cities. Ukraine, global warming, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, right? <laughs> So, but but you're optimistic. Okay. Um, First off, the start of the title. Uh, uh, This is a classic cart before the horse. Uh, (laughs) We came up with the title before we had the book written. And uh, and this was in part a a marketing play. Matter of fact, we had the graphic for the cover. uh, It's over my shoulder here. uh, Long before we had the book. Uh, and uh, Tony Lyons of Skyhorse had recommended uh, come up with a name for the title. And I was just uncomfortable with it because I always try to leave any of my broadcasts or, or speaking engagements with, uh, with some hope, with a silver lining, with some forward-looking things that, that don't leave people just depressed. And so I suggested that we had this tagline, The Better Future Coming, and then, of course, I had to deliver on it. 
which became the hardest part of the whole book. So here's the honest truth. Our, let's call them opponents, or I like to say these days, the old upper, middle, and lower class class structure, caste structure that we have grown up with, we've left behind in the 20th century. It is yesterday. It's as yesterday as swing music. Um, we're now in an environment where what we have is a new caste system of physicals, virtuals, machines, and overlords. The yeah. overlords being that tiny fraction of a fraction uh, that meets in Davos or meets in China. You know, Davos is just the winter WEF meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a summer WEF meeting in China and various satellite meetings in the Middle East, etc. Um, And this is the BlackRock State Street Vanguard Bank of America, um, uh, central banks, and all of the hangers-on around them. Uh, The WEF being uh, basically a trade organization of the thousand largest companies in the world that believes that uh, we should move forward with a centralized command economy uh, towards a shaped future of a fourth industrial revolution and fusion of man and machine, hence why I put machines above uh, the virtuals, the virtual class, Uh, and uh, that this is inevitable. This is where humanity is going, is towards this centralized, corporatist, uh, utilitarian uh, um, command economy-based environment. And, you know, just to put a pin in it, uh, as I like to note repeatedly, Mussolini himself said that the true name for fascism should be corporatism. Mm -hmm. Public-private partnerships are corporatism. The World Economic Forum, in their most recent meeting at the G20 summit, um, in their Klaus Schwab's recent statements, explicitly state that nation-states should get on board uh, with the WEF and corporatism. And we've seen over the last three years uh, the development of Canada, New Zealand, to a significant extent Australia, as client states of the World Economic Forum. That's the truth of what we're encountering. And of course, they very much would like to make the United States a client state and have gone a long way to doing so. Uh, What is a better way forward? Remembering that this effort to build this centralized planned economy, command economy world in which you will own nothing and be happy, so they say, which is a business model, by the way. It's a business model of basically uh, a rent-based economy where an even smaller number of individuals will control virtually all global assets and then allocate them as needed. Um, Basically, without saying it, what they're saying is from each according to his abilities and to each according to his needs. That is what underscores, underlies that statement of you'll own nothing and be happy Mm -hmm. that they try to promote, which of course we all recognize as Marxism. Uh, What's the alternative to this dark 
fourth industrial revolution world that's described in the Great Reset. And in Harari's book, for instance, uh, Homo Deus, Man God, to translate, mm-hmm. right? In which Harari basically says God is dead and uh, man is God. And we will guide our own future evolution in our own future. What is the alternative to that? I believe, and a colleague has pointed out to me that George Orwell, in one of the early versions of 1984, had a prologue essay in which he explicitly stated he believes that mankind will be driven towards a pharmaceutical-controlled uh, state in which we will all be basically um, uh, medicated to become passive. This is Orwell speaking in the 40s. And uh, the only way to avoid that is through decentralization. I think the better way forward, the better future, uh, the brighter future for our children is one that many are discussing now, which is a world of what we might call intentional communities, uh, aggregates of individuals with shared interests, uh, and those can be virtual or they can be physical, that are networked together in some way to create a uh, interaction that is both decentralized and global at the same time, a leaderless world uh, in which we basically have uh, cells, pods, intentional communities, there's a lot of different words around that, that are built around their own belief systems, their own emphasis, uh, their own passions, but are, are able to efficiently interact, trade, um, transact with each other. Uh, in a you know environment in which they're not controlled by some centralized authoritarian structure, and there's a number of people that have been talking about this and and thinking about how to enable it, uh, and it very much fits with the uh, modern language and concepts of fourth generation, fifth generation warfare. I'm sorry. Uh, this uh, new battleground where uh, your mind is the territory to be conquered, your thoughts and emotions. Um, how do we fight? How do we resist in an, in an environment in which our governments have been willing to deploy military-grade psychological operations technology on their own citizens? together with all of the censorship, surveillance, et cetera, that is so deeply Orwellian. And I think the answer is that we work together with each other to build a community of communities. Um, And I think we're seeing the natural emergence of this with all the birthing pains in the modern internet communities that are self-assembling and, uh, Let's hope that Elon is sincere. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm as far as I'm concerned, the jury's still out there. Uh, but uh, yeah, but but uh, let's see. 
uh, what comes with these data drops, uh, the Twitter files. Um, I really look forward to the one that is pending right now about COVID. Yeah. But we already know that uh, as uh, Steve Bannon speaks about the Praetorian Guard, we, we can clearly see uh, that the administrative, the permanent administrative state operating through the intelligence community basically as its, its Praetorian Guard enforcers have profoundly distorted the nature of American democracy. And if you want to call it democracy, really representative democracy. Uh, um, uh, and somehow we've got to take that back. And um, along those lines, in some recent essays, I've made the point to cite the, um, I forget where in the Bible it speaks, uh, what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? And I believe also, what does it profit a nation to gain the world and lose its soul? I think that by seeking an imperial uh, world in which the United States is the hegemon, is in charge of everything, has the major influence, both militarily and economically, we've lost our way. We've lost our soul. We have compromised our integrity. Lying has now become the norm. Uh, some people have observed there's no way that book is long enough, even at 450 pages, to capture all the lies your government has told you. <laughs> uh, and um, in a world in which lying and loss of integrity has become normative in our government, uh, how do we get back um, uh, the autonomy and the limited federal government that was originally envisioned by these brilliant I'm, you know, I'm not going to apologize, uh, wealthy white guys uh, <laughs> that happen to have the luxury of spending a ton of time and treasure on books and thinking and talking and discussing and coming up with what remains a profound document uh, in the form of Declaration of Independence, U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights that remains a beacon for the entire world. Uh, in terms of an envisioned uh, way of of being. Um, but the founding fathers didn't anticipate an expansionist uh, permanent administrative state. They, they anticipated a limited federal government that yep. basically would manage commerce trade between semi-autonomous nation states that we call states and, uh, and that there was a collective defense pact. That was kind of the scope of what the federal government was envisioned to be. And somehow it has become this monster that's just eating us and the rest of the world. Somehow we got to get back. And I think that that, that document and that thinking, those discussions that went on, you know, 250 plus years ago, still remains a beacon for the entire world as we look forward to how can we organize ourselves in a way that um, will allow the human species to flourish and fulfill its potential as opposed to this dark transhuman machine man fusion uh, 
um, world of of indentured servitude that they seem to want to force us into. Over. Yeah, the indentured servitude is definitely <laughs> it's what they want. It seems like that's the whole goal for basically everything that's happening right now. Uh, now, Doctor Malone, before we get you know too far off, and you've already given us a, a lot of your time, and we appreciate it. Uh, I was digging through my show notes before you came on, and a long time ago, we were when all this stuff had already started, but had not significantly progressed. Uh, we were going to have a doctor on. I don't remember who it was. Uh, and this was before we would even, you know, even think that we would have somebody who actually created the technology. Um, I had a couple questions. I feel like we'd be a little bit remiss if we didn't get somewhat technical. Um, cool. So I had these questions written down. These are, you know, I definitely our understanding is, has broadened since then. But the mRNA uh, technology is is somewhat flexible. Would that be Would that be a correct assumption? Yeah, and to, to kind of underscore this, there is a whole chapter uh, in the book, uh, of course, talking about the tech mm-hmm. uh, and particularly about the difference between the tech as I had envisioned it when I was at the Salk and at Vical, and as it is currently embodied. Yep. Uh, the logic behind this, and this is something I do discuss quite frequently, usually in public um, forums, is... We are in a situation in which there is a clear and present danger associated with engineered pathogens and new and emergent infectious disease. And uh, to capture that in a short statement, uh, if everything goes according to plan, which of course it never does, uh, the U.S. Department of Defense anticipates that they will have licensed vaccines for all biowarfare biologic pathogens up until the end of World War II. And they will have developed all those vaccines and have them licensed and ready to go by 2050, a full century after the threats manifested. And of course, the threats now are much broader, deeper, uh, pervasive. We're in an environment in which uh, it's a child's play to engineer a pathogen now. We talk about gain-of-function research as if it's such a big deal, but in fact, um, it's fairly straightforward to make all kinds of genetic modifications. Yeah, yeah. so the the flexibility of the mRNA technology, uh, so once people have this in their system, are they susceptible to updates to the... Well, so let's talk about the flexibility a little tiny bit more. I was trying to tee it up. Yeah. Uh, the idea is that you go straight from genetic sequence to vaccine mm-hmm. or medical therapy product. Uh, and that's the ideal without having to to optimize a new manufacturing process, which is incredibly time consuming. And so this is something that the FDA has endorsed that was discussed at the World Health Organization over a year ago is that once we have, once they have a formulation, this core set of things that come together in a certain way, you can swap out any RNA sequence for another sequence. And uh, basically the FDA will essentially give you a pass on uh, detailed testing of this new product, assuming that it is uh, functionally, pharmaceutically identical to the old one. It's just changed the sequence of the RNA, but the, the chemical, chemistry remains the same. Um, 
And that's what they're proceeding with. So there are over 50 vaccine trials based on this currently enrolling in the United States and over 200 trials planned for both vaccines and medicines. So that's the logic of the flexibility. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you asked about um, the implications in humans and uh, explicitly from Harari, as well as Klaus Schwab, is the logic that by um, compelling, enticing, coercing through fear, among other things, uh, people to take these uh, mRNA-based products, you're overcoming their innate resistance to genetic modification of themselves, to making themselves GMOs, Mm -hmm. which of course has been a huge uh, psychological and intellectual barrier for those people who believe the future is one in which gene therapy and genetic modification will become routine. Uh, So they have managed to get a large fraction of the world's population to accept being dosed with a uh, genetic material which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, It shows how profoundly effective weaponization of fear can be. Uh, So uh, updates um, as if uh, human version Mm 2.2.3, right? Uh, Or or delivery um, methods of those updates. Yeah. Um, That is kind of aligned with this dark vision of Harari and others. Uh, of man as God, in which uh, we will have both genetic modification and mechanical modification of humans. Uh, One of the things about Mr. Harari is if you read his books uh, with a scientific eye, they're grossly naive. The same is true with Klaus Schwab. If you try to read The Great Reset, uh, it's hard to make it through because it's just, I'm sorry, It's there's a whole lot of bullshit there. Yeah. A whole lot of hand-waving. And then you start and, doing it in his voice and it gets annoying. <laughs> yeah. Annoying is you're being very gentle. I know. Um, uh, Reads so, like stereo uh, instructions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's like, he, he, he couldn't be more of a Bond villain if he wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, um, but, but the... Harari and those that are following this logic seem to think that the technology for genetic modification of humans is far more advanced than it truly is. Mm -hmm. But this is the kind of naivete we've seen promoted by the biotechnology industry and the likes of Wired magazine uh, for decades. Wired being a notorious uh, vehicle for promoting uh, let's say narratives which the intelligence community wishes to push into the uh, populace. Um, again, a fifth generation warfare strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think the good news is that uh, these people that are promoting the great reset and this logic of transhumanism are way ahead of their skis. Uh, and again, to put a pin in it, uh, your listeners may not be aware that Klaus Schwab was not the one that originally uh, announced the Great Reset. That would be King Charles III. Yep. Um, so uh, for those that want to go down conspiracy lane, <laughs> rabbit hole, uh, and all of the rich and wonderful things having uh, to do with the last couple of millennia, uh, there absolutely is a central role for the British monarchy 
in what's going on right now uh, with uh, the World Economic Forum. And we'll just leave that at that, lest we uh, be be pegged as uh, absolute nutcases. Uh, but, you know, the facts are the facts. Yeah. They certainly are. Dr. Mullen, last thing I wanted to ask you, and it's something that our listenership will probably enjoy your commentary on. It's a little bit humorous, but we can all see it happening in some way, shape, or form. Tail the tape. Senator Rand Paul versus Dr. Fauci in a fight, who would win? <laughs> I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, the little elf that should be thrown across the Potomac. Is that the one you're referring to? It is. Uh uh, yeah. So, you know, the, the wags say, well, we should have put Velcro on him before he got thrown. Um, uh, so, uh, I, I think Rand, uh, has proven to have a certain scrappiness to him. Uh, and I, uh, it's so regrettable that the Senate didn't turn because that could have been, uh, some really interesting fireworks. <laughs> I fear that, uh, Fauci is going to uh, weasel away now. Agreed. Yeah, uh, because the Senate didn't turn. Our only hope is that um, Mr. McCarthy uh, grows a pair <laughs> and hasn't hasn't been totally compromised by the uniparty agenda uh, and will allow investigations in the House with subpoena power. But I'm that that's what you know, the likelihood that uh, this swarm uh, consensus uh, um, that we see operating in Twitter and in the government in the United States and throughout the world now, um, the likelihood that that these operatives, um, like Walensky, uh, Deborah Burks, um, uh, Tony Fauci, uh, his new replacement, who is absolute, has all the hallmarks of intelligence community. Mm. Uh, um, uh, are they going to be held accountable? I, you know, there's always hope, uh, but uh, then there's pragmatic realism. Thirty years of dealing with DC. No. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think we're going to continue uh, to see uh, these uh, propaganda, even maybe even more so, coming out of Tony Fauci's mouth. Just like we saw the little clip uh, from CNN about how he has gone and vaccinated Santa and all the elves. Oh, God, uh, stop. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's ugly. <laughs> Glad to see you back on Twitter, though, with 760,000 followers. I just retweeted your uh, your book. I just ordered it, actually, too. But uh, it's you got to... You stay active on Twitter because we need people like you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy I'm to trying, see you. And I don't, yeah. the problem with the new Twitter is I don't know where the guardrails are. Mm. Um, and and uh, it's not going to do any of us any good. You know, fortunately, I still have Getter, so I can be a little less inhibited on Getter than I can go. on Twitter. Um, and thanks for the shout out about the book. Um, for your, assuming that this uh, broadcast is going to go out between now and Christmas, um, uh, just to mention uh, the electronic version of the book is free through Christmas. Anybody here in the States can download it for free from Amazon or whatever uh, vendor you want to get an ebook from. Nice. Uh, because uh, our goal here is 
I'm not going to get rich. I think we get like a buck a copy from the hardback. Um, uh, this is about getting information out. Uh, so, uh, you know, send a link to your uh, your uncle or your brother or your coworker that you want a red pill and uh, give them a free copy for Christmas on me uh, and on Skyhorse Publishing. And and uh, uh, maybe maybe we'll make a little. Uh, a little dent in uh, in conversion of uh, those that are hypnotized by the current narrative. I like it. Dr. Malone, I'm, I'm a capitalist and I'm telling everybody out there, get on Amazon and buy the hard copy. Buy the we book. A million copies sold. If you get a dollar for every book, that's a million dollars, which Dr. Malone absolutely 100% deserves. So yep. buy the book. Don't get it for free. Buy the book. <laughs> Yeah. Or and both. let's give Dr. Malone a dollar. Do, do both. You can do both. While you're <laughs> you waiting for the book to show up, you can read the free copy. It's a little stocking stuffer. Yeah. I'm not against it. Do- yeah, Dr. Malone. Amazon, and I, it's totally inexplicable. I can't understand how this is happening. Somehow the deliveries from Amazon seem to be delayed. Well, imagine that. I, I know you're shocked, uh, but uh, so it goes. Well, you can order a pair of socks and they'll show up before you get off the couch, but the book, no. <laughs> How dare you? Dr. Malone, this has been awesome sitting down with you for the first time today. I hope it won't be the last. We'd love to have you back at any time in the future to discuss everything that we talked about today and more. Obviously, there's so much more you can unpack for our listenership. But as you're doing the book tour right now and heading into the holiday seasons, we'll look into the new year to having you back. Now, we've already mentioned, and we will live link the book in the show description today, but anywhere on social media that you want our listenership to find you, we'll live link those as well. So, uh Please do put a hot link to our Substack. Will um, do. So that's rwmalonemd.substack.com. And once again, that's free. Uh, but if anybody wants to subscribe for five bucks a month, they can participate in the chat. And what that does is it creates a chat space that isn't full of trolls. Yep. Uh, so a lot of people like that. But uh, the goal here is to get the information out, and so you can have it come into your inbox for free. If you sign up, you don't have to pay. Nice. We'll be live linking those in the show description. Like I said, we wish you the very merriest of Christmas and holiday season, uh, Dr. Malone, and we'll be looking to have you back at some point in the future. This is an inventor, scientist, author whose new book, Why My Government Told Me, and The Better Future Coming, Joining us for the first time on the show today, it was an absolute pleasure. Dr. Robert Malone, thanks for coming down with us. Thank you, sir, and Merry Christmas to all. Well, that was an absolute treat. I can't think of any other way to uh, surprise our listenership here in Christmas week with a little present in the form of Dr. Robert Malone and all the great information he gave us in his Steak for Breakfast debut if you enjoyed this episode and would like to check out the other nearly 200 editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podaddict, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank's Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds! Well, obviously they go to the uh, guest of the hour, Dr. Robert Malone and the pod team for coming together to put a hell of a production together today. Guys, thanks to remember between now and Friday, because we're giving you a little bit of bonus stakes here. Number one, do your own research. I can't think of anybody that's a better example of doing your own research than Dr. Robert Malone. What do you think, Noah? I feel like he's done a lot of research, and people should probably listen to him. Will he get to time travel? I hope so. Me too. 
number two, start a podcast. Not too bad. Here we are. Easy money. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. I think the underlying tone of everything Dr. Malone talked with us about today, in addition to the underlying tones of his book is, your government is going to tell you lies. The fact of the matter is, if you're brave enough to stand up for what you believe in, we're going to get back to American greatness. We don't talk about it enough. We need to start talking about it again. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been a bonus special edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back on Friday. We've got a pretty packed lineup. Jake Denton of Heritage, Alexis Wilkins, performing her Christmas single, Two Great Patriots, Vish Burra, Alice Brusewitz, and RNC Chairwoman Candidate Harmeet Dillon. On behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening, and take care. From the future. I came here in a time machine that you invented. Now I need your help to get back to the year 1985. My God. Do you know what this means? It means that this damn thing doesn't work at all. <laughs>